Genesis chapter number 24, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. The Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. I like that, don't you? And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Thou shalt go into my country, into my kindred, and take a wife unto my son, Isaac. The servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again into the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if a woman be not willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear of this mine oath. Only bring not my son thither again. Look in verse number 33. This is after the servant ventures into the far country, about 700 miles to Mesopotamia, and uh, is introduced by the providence of God to this young lady. And uh, now he has met her family. They are in the house, and the Bible said in verse 33, there was set meat before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand. And he said, Speak on. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. They have given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old. And unto him hath he given all that he hath. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, our hearts have been blessed today. This place and the spirit that you have brought. We're honored and humbled that we could worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we thank you for the song that we just heard of the mercy that you have shown toward us. We're none here today because of our efforts, our goodness, but because of your grace. Now, Father, we thank you for what you've already done and you've spoken enough to which we ought to praise you. 
But if it would be your will to add to it, may you do so. May you bless these men who have come this way already this week. The many hearts, Lord, as you know the burdens they bear, and as we believe, Lord, that the forces of evil are attacking your servants more now than ever before. May you preserve them, strengthen them, and may they be trophies of your grace in eternity. We'll praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name and for his sake. And amen. Genesis chapter number 24 is a wonderful record about a wonderful father who has sent a wonderful servant into a far country to get a wonderful bride to bring home to his wonderful son so there could be a wonderful wedding. It reminds me of what I read in the New Testament. Revelation 19 and verse 7 said, For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. I believe there's going to be a wedding in the sky. But as I thought about the wedding in Genesis 24, I'm used over my own wedding and the many that I have performed. And I realized that weddings don't just happen. But there are preparations, there are situations, there are matters that have to be taken care of before you can ever have a wedding. There's some of those things in these morning services that I want to point out to you. The first that I want to preach on this morning is what I call matching matters. Abraham has been blessed in all things and it has been placed upon his heart that there should be a wedding. That his son should marry a bride. And so now he takes the steps, the preparations to bring these two together for that wonderful wedding that is also in the very divine will and plan of God Almighty. But it is up to Abraham to do what I call the matching matters or the introducing. How can Isaac and Rebekah wed if they don't know each other, if they never hear of each other, if they are never introduced? Can you remember the occasion, the purpose, uh, the person, the plan of when you were introduced to your Bride-to-be, your wife-to-be. <laughs> Think back upon it. Maybe you met her when you went to the first grade and went all the way through school that far back. One fellow said he met his wife in a traffic accident. Another fellow said he went on a blind date. I said, how'd it go? He said, I've been better off if I was blind. One old fellow sang out his experience in the mountains and it went something like this. He said, I once was a young man and needed a wife. One that would love me the rest of my life. So I ordered me one from an old magazine. That was the ugliest thing I'd ever seen. 
Well, I don't know how you met yours. I'm sure it wasn't that way. <laughs> if she's here, you're not going to say it was that way. <laughs> but certainly there had to come a time and a place to where you became aware that there was this beautiful gal that you wanted to marry. And she became aware that there was this romantic man that she wanted to marry. And what a wonderful time that that was. Well, this was the occasion that had to take place, and it fell into the hands, the lot of it fell into the hands of Abraham to introduce, to match these two, or to bring them together. And I want to point out to you three things, or three ways, in which they were introduced one to another. And of course, I'm making application as to how you and I were introduced to our heavenly groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice with me, first of all, what I call the strategy that brought them together. There is a plan that is laid out in verses 1 through 8 of bringing Rebekah and Isaac together. Now, I like to say this, and I believe it is so, that Abraham gives a plan, but he only gives one plan, and one plan only. He said this is the way it's going to be, and it's the only way that it's going to be. I understand from that that God only has a plan A. There are no other plans. There is salvation in none other name. You cannot believe in whoever you want to and whomever you want to and go to heaven. You will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. That is the plan and that is, thank God, the only plan. It keeps it simple. Our job is simple. Present the only plan the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice some things about this plan or this strategy that Abraham lies out, uh, lays out to reach Rebekah. The first thing that would come to mind that I would point out to you is that this plan that Abraham lays out was a plan that was before Rebekah. Rebekah is... 700 miles away. She knows nothing of the world of an Abraham and of an Isaac. She knows nothing of the bounties and the blessings that have been bestowed upon them. She knows nothing of the Lord God that uh, they have followed. She is in a far-off land worshiping a pagan god. She is not aware while she is drawing water, while she is a little girl pity-patting around her home in Mesopotamia, that in a far-off country in the mind and the heart of an old man, there is a plan being written up that would include her in the family. It was a plan that was before her. I'm glad this thing was finished before I ever got in. God knew when he created this world, he'd have to make us last or we'd try to tell him how to do it. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he said it is finished because he didn't want you to have any part in old time salvation. It was a plan, thank God, that was before her. She was not even aware of it. The second thing I would point out to you, not only was it a plan before her, but it was a plan totally for her. 
<laughs> oh, listen. Abraham said to the servant, I want you to go. The servant is over all that Abraham has. And so he takes the time, the pains. He takes the resources, the camels, and all the supplies that would be needed to travel so far. <laughs> but they didn't mind doing it. Ah, oh, because they were going for the bride. The distance made no difference. The cost made no difference because they were going after the bride. Someone might have said, oh, but why are you wasting all this time and all this energy and going through such treacherous country? Why don't you just pick you up one here? <laughs> oh, no. This is a plan that is for her. They're going the distance to get her. Oh, I'm glad that I was on my father's mind, aren't you? I'm glad it was not a stress to the father to lay out the plan. It was not even grievous to the son to fulfill the plan. And he willingly, the Bible said, died for you and I so that we could be included. The whole plan of God, the whole scheme of God in salvation was for me. <laughs> said, go get him, go get him. It was a plan before her. It was a plan for her. Then can I say unto you somehow, mysteriously beyond my understanding, it was a plan that was already locked up in her. I don't know how God works on both sides at the same time, do you? <laughs> He's working on the plan of salvation and laying it all out. And then at the same time as a young boy, 15 years old, he's working inside of me in his own ways. I understand that when I read on down the verses I didn't read this morning. Concerning the servant in verse 15, uh, or verse 14 on down through verse 19, you know how he stops and he prays and he says, Lord, uh, let the one whom is to be the bride, when she comes to draw water, let her say to me, I'll give you water and I'll water your camels also. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Not by accident. God's working on both sides. She never heard that prayer and knew anything about it. She didn't go out to that well looking for Isaac. She didn't know he existed. But somehow down within her heart, God was bringing these two together. <laughs> it wasn't because that there was something special about me that one day I said I wanted Christ. It's because God had worked in my heart. Create a desire for his son. <laughs> and so she comes out and out of the blue she says to him, I'll give you water and please let me water your camels also. <laughs> she had camels on her heart. He had camels on his heart. And they came together. Isn't that how God's grace is? Bringing things together. It was a plan that was birthed in her, not an accident. God working on both sides. 
I love to illustrate this by my own marriage, how God mysteriously is able to work on both sides at the same time, bringing things together. I was in school in Greenville, South Carolina. I wasn't even thinking about marriage. I was enjoying uh, school and getting some of them older preachers and going to camp meetings and things like that. But I had a fellow that moved in from the mountains where I live now to go to school and didn't have a place to stay, so he moved in with me. And he was dating a girl up there, and all about after three or four months, he came in the room where I was laying on the bed studying one night, and he said, I want you to listen to this. I said, what is it? He said, it's a Dear John letter. I said, well, okay, I wasn't interested, but I listened. And he read the letter to me, the dear John, all the way through. The more he read, the more I liked. That's a truth. I'm telling you the truth. He got done with the letter. I said to him, you got a picture of her? He said, yeah. I said, bring it to me. He brought it in and he handed it to me. Now, I'm not a... Benny Hinn or any of that. <laughs> but there have been times when the Holy Ghost has definitely showed me some things. And I looked at that picture and God Almighty said to my heart, that is her! He'd been trying to get me to go to the mountains. I never would go. I said to him, when's the next time you're going to the mountains? <laughs> now the Lord had already laid out some things in my heart that I had prayed about as far as a wife. That I wanted. One of them was she had to already have surrendered to being a preacher's wife. That was just settled in my heart. It was, it was, no, it's just going to have to be that way. I wasn't going to marry a woman and drag her through the ministry. The second thing is she had to be able to play a piano. I don't know why that, but it had to be. I didn't care how big she was. I didn't care, you know, just as long as she could do those two things. <laughs> Boy, my wife would kill me on that one. So I rode up to the mountains with him. And I met my wife playing the piano where I eventually pastored for 18 years. And she had already surrendered totally to being a preacher's wife. Isn't that amazing how God worked? You say, what about that poor other fellow? Well, that's another illustration. <laughs> Last time I saw him, he was thumbing. He loaned me his Volkswagen so I could take her out. <laughs> And I, I dated her twice and asked her to marry me. I started to the first time, and I thought she'd think I was jumping the gun. So I, <laughs> that's the truth, too. I say there was a strategy that was laid out. Now, aren't you glad that God had an infinite, divine, perfect, complete plan to reach you that would not fail? It would work. It was a strategy. That introduced them. Not only was there a strategy that introduced them, but there was an old story. Oh, I like that, don't you? An old story. It's found in verse number 33 as he sits down and, and they are going to set the meal before him and he said, whoa, wait a minute. He said, I can't eat a bite until I've told you the story. <laughs> And then he proceeds to share the story 
with them. Why, he talks about the greatness of the Father in verse number 35. He said, he's become great. <laughs> said, I'm from a, a country where my Father, the Father's great. <laughs> Greater than you can imagine from what I've seen around here. You ain't got nothing to compare. But he said, I come from a country not only where the Father is great, but the Son is glorified. He said he's given him all things. <laughs> said his daddy's rich and he's rich. <laughs> Thought you might be interested in that story. <laughs> huh? Oh, I can remember the day as a 15-year-old boy hell-bound with nothing in this world when I heard the old story about a great father and a glorious son. <laughs> oh, in a world like I've never known. <laughs> he could have said the two things in that story. And it's all going to be about him, you know that. Because he's interested in introducing her to him. He's interested in matchmaking. So the first part of that story is simply a story that says to her, look, I know you've never been there. I know you can't imagine it. And I know it's a long way off. And I know it's beyond your imagination that there could ever be anybody like the fellow I'm telling you about. But what I want to tell you is, He is! He could have said, He is the only Son. <laughs> the only begotten of the Father. Huh? Oh, he, could, he spent the time talking about and proclaiming to her because he wanted to get it in her heart. Listen, I'm telling you the truth. He is. Wasn't that the story that you got in the gospel? He said, listen, I'm going to tell you, he is. It may sound too good to be true. It may seem like a fairy tale. But when the Holy Ghost came to me, He assured my heart and said, He is! I'm glad here I'm here this morning to tell you, thank God, He is! That's what Brother Mike was preaching on, on that shadow, thank God, He is! He is. He's the only Son. He's the ordained Son. He's the offered son. Any other thing you want to say about him? He is, honey. He is. Matter of fact, he could have said he is all in all. Well, that's what he said. Verse 36, I like that word all that's found in there. Blessed Abraham of all things. Well, what did he leave out? Servants over all things. Well, what's left out? Verse 36, the Bible said he'd given him all what's left out. He's got it all. Wouldn't we say amen to Brother Mike this morning and say he's got it all. He is the all in all, the fullness of everything. But you know what? Finding out that he is, is wonderful. But you know, 
If you're a millionaire sitting here this morning, good and well, but that don't do me no good. Do you know that? You may be, I know some people worth a million, but they don't give me any of it. I don't do nothing but get jealous when I find out all you got till you start giving it to me. And then I thank God you've got it. <laughs> but if you got it and I can't get none of it, what good is it to me? Talk about your greatness and talk about your awes and talk about your bigness and talk about your glories. Honey, you ain't going to do nothing. Maybe just make me not like you. I don't like folks like that, do you? But you see, this story is more than a story about he is. All of his greatness, all of his glory, all of his possessions, all his positions. But it is also a story not only he is, but it is a story about you are because he is. See, she's a nobody going nowhere and you'd have never heard of her unless he is. But the servant said he is and because he is, you are. And she's sucked up into everything he is. I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody, but honey, in him, I got everything. Because he is, you are. You know, uh, in the perfect tense when we say you are or I am, you can't ever say that. Because at the moment you say I am or you are, then you are not. Because things have changed. You've gotten older, you've gotten heavier. You, can't, you know, they talk about sports figures and things that, and, and what they could do, but they can't do it no more. Tragedy is, is every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever born into this world that never comes to know Christ never is. And you and I never were until Christ came into the picture, and now we are. Huh? Ephesians chapter number 2 lets us know that we are, and all that we are in Christ. She may have been nothing but just an old Mesopotamian girl with very little, but now she's got everything because everything he is, she's got. And everything Christ is, thank God I am. Isn't that a blessing? You are. What a story to tell. That's the strategy. And that's the story that introduced it. But then I want you to notice something what I call the signs. The signs. Notice, uh, if you will, in verse number 12. The servant begins to pray, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day. And show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of the water. The daughters of, men, of the men of the city come out to draw water and let it come to pass that the damsel, to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. 
Thereby shall I know that thou hast shown kindness unto my master. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milk, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher on her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon a virgin, neither had any man known her. She went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up, and the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. She hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. Now this servant wants to know that this is the right one. He's not going to just take anybody that comes along. And so he does something strange. He lays out what I would call an extreme, an extreme condition. Now he has not told her. She knows nothing about it. He has traveled almost 700 miles. An all-important task to further the purpose and the work of God is about to transpire. And what does he do? He lays out an extreme condition, almost impossible. In a desert land where there's little water anyway, and the labor is so great to draw the water, he prays the prayer and says, God, if she's the one, let her give me water and let her water my ten camels also. Well, they tell us that each camel can hold up at least 15 to 20 gallons of water. He's laid out an extreme condition. You know, if there's one fault with the gospel in our day that's being preached, is that it is so watered down. We almost apologize for it, and we almost say, well, you know, it, it, there's one fellow, I, I presented him the gospel, and he said to me, well, can I keep on drinking and, and be saved? And, and we've, we've done, the church has turned into a, almost some kind of an enterprise or some kind of a company or something. There are so many different types of ministries, and there's nothing wrong, I guess, with that, but I mean, we, we just think we've got to have a swimming pool ministry, and we've got to have, you know, a, a, just every kind of different thing to be able to reach the sinner. We're almost afraid we might lose one if we're not careful. Not this boy. I can see some of his buddies that's rode over with him and they say to him, Oh, please, servant, master servant, we've, we've come so far and we've put so much into this. Just, please, just make it a gallon of water or maybe one camel. Because you know we're not going to get a woman like this. <laughs> There's no woman going to water all these camels. We'll go back without a bride. No, he said, you've got to get all the camels or nothing. It's all or none. That's an extreme condition. But did you know the Bible is filled with that? 
the rich young ruler came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We would have said, hey man, you, you got it. Just pray this prayer, you got it. Jesus said, you can have eternal life if you sell all you got and give it to the poor. Extreme! That's too much! Isn't it? Naaman came down to be healed of his leprosy. Elias, who wouldn't even go out and shake hands with him, said, dip seven times in the muddy Jordan. He said, that's too much! That's extreme! <laughs> him old boys come down to be baptized. And John the Baptist looked him in the eye and said, boys, you better repent before you get baptized. That's extreme, isn't it? Ah, listen. The way we want it, it's, you know, I'm thinking about this. I, I, I've said it before. I'm say, I, you know, everybody's suing for everything. Why can't we preachers make a little money on this marriage deal? If everybody's going to get a divorce and we can't stop it, but yet we stood there and they had the audacity to say, I do and I will, all that stuff we said, and it will be until death do us part, and then they go out and get a divorce. I say, sue them. <laughs> they swore before God, before me, before the witnesses, they signed the paper, and the whole church sue them. <laughs> huh? But nowadays we've got prenuptial agreements. I'm afraid she won't marry me if we say you have to do all of that. Well, he said it's tough. If she don't water the camels, she ain't going. That's an extreme condition. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's the gospel. The gospel's narrow. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There's no other way. That's right down the middle. And I mentioned, I tell you, do all you want to do to draw the sinners and, and to play to the sinners, but honey, it's still the old gospel that I should be preached to them. Death, burial, resurrection, repent, and get right. <laughs> what I heard when I got in, that's what you heard when you got in. Just plow deep and get her in there. Somebody said they won't come back. Well, they're not going. We got a church full, honey. You couldn't get them to carry a glass of water, let alone water ten camels. Everything's a strain to them. Everything's too stressful. It's too much. It's too hard. It, the services are too long. I just can't go. We can't even get them to church on Sunday night. They ain't got no water. That's why they can't give you nothing. That's extreme. That's extreme. But you know what I notice that goes along with the extreme condition? is an extreme conduct. 
Now, who under God's heaven would ever bet that a woman would walk up and say, Sir, could I water your camel? There's something extreme working in her. Huh? Out of the blue, we got all these... Now, can you imagine what all the other young maidens said? <laughs> I, I, I can bet on it. Did, you can forget about me. I'm getting my water and going to the house. I'm not watering them camels. But there's no stress to her. Do you notice how she says it? I mean, there's no strain. Well, it's hot, but I'll water your camels if you want me to, if I can get somebody to help me. I'm going to tell you something. If you ever get deep enough, under an old sinner deep enough under conviction by the power of the Holy Ghost, there'll nothing be too extreme. That day I walked down that little old alley and the Holy Ghost spoke to my heart and told me where I was going, honey. There'd have been nothing I wouldn't have done. It didn't take 20 stanzas of just as I am and an hour and a half invitation, honey. God had done the work. <laughs> he said, my commandments are not grievous. She said, I'd like to, I'd love to, I want to water your camels. <laughs> and the old sinner gets saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and he says, I want to go to church, I want to sing, I want to preach, I want to glorify God. You don't have to hold time. You don't have to get him to string on the hole. He's got a want to. And if you ain't got the want to, you ain't going. You don't want to water the camels, you're not going. Is that the truth? Zacchaeus, an old tax collector, climbed down out of that tree and he said, Lord, I've cheated anybody. I'll get it right. I'm going to give half all I got to the poor. Somebody said, That's extreme. Everything we do is extreme. Abraham jerked up and left home and land and everything he ever knew. Somebody said, that's extreme. You better believe him. We're a peculiar people. Somebody said, you're fanatics. Yes, we are. We're extreme. There's an old preacher from West Virginia preaching. He talked about God had saved him and called him to preach. He worked in the coal mines and preached revivals back there in the mountains all his life. And he said, uh, Brother Dick Lambert was his name, uh, just a glorious preacher. Talked about how the Lord called him to preach, and there's an old sinner lived 12 miles from him, not by road, but by ridge and creek and valley. And sent word to him and said, Tell Preacher Lambert to come and preach to me. I'm a dying, I'm bedfast. And as only that old preacher could tell it, he talked about how he got up on Sunday morning early enough to cross them mountain ridges and he could call the name of every creek and 
every hill and every valley. They walked 12 miles. Went into the house, and the old sinner was laying under bed, and they preached to him the gospel. But he didn't get saved. He said, Preacher Limbo, will you come back next Sunday and preach to me? <laughs> he said, I started back across the ridge, and he named every holler and every... Walked 12 miles back home. Next Sunday morning, he got up and went through the same routine back to that house, every ridge and creek and valley. 12 miles, that made 36. Went into the house and preached to the old sinner, but he didn't get saved. But he said, Preacher Lemble, will you come back next Sunday? <laughs> and he walked that ridge and valley back 12 miles home. He said he got up the next morning and walked back ridges and valleys back to the same house. He said, I walked up on the porch, opened the door, and when I looked into the man's face, he said, I knew it already happened. He raised his hand and said, Preacher Limble, I've gotten saved. But he said, I want to be baptized, and he couldn't walk. He was dead fast, dying. And I want to be baptized today. Preacher Limbaugh said he got some of the men of the community together and they went down there at the creek and they just cleared off the place, got the old horse out of the barn, harnessed him up and got the sled and took the old man out and laid him on that sled, took him down there and they was going to pull him through the water and baptize him. Somebody said that's extreme, not if you got the real stuff. <laughs> He said, I went down into the water to make sure everything was just right. But he said, when I did, I heard some commotion. They'd had some of the saints come together. They started shouting. They looked around. And he said, the old man had gotten up, walked down into the creek and got baptized. Extreme? Yeah, but I like it that way. Don't you? That's the way I know I got the real stuff. It'll go the distance. It'll go. It'll work. 